0: All right, welcome along to the RT Soccer Podcast. I'm Raf Jallo, joined by Ed Leahy from RT Sport Online this week. And we've two lads who've won Leagues and Cups in their time, in Carl Shepard and Gary Rogers. Lads, how did the opening weekend treat you? Uh,
1: yeah, it was good. Uh, I watched Shells and Pats on TV, and obviously it was, uh, it was a good game. Uh, I think Shells started really well, and then it uh,
0: kind of all capitulated quite quickly after that. And Gary, what was your vantage point?
2: Yeah, I went to um, Dundalk and Derry. I think it was great to get back into the stadium and see a full house. And, you know, there was a great atmosphere. I think it's obviously sense, you know, there was new orders in Dundalk as well. And there was a lot of feel-good factor around the place. So it was a very enjoyable two-all game as well. So there was um, lots of talking points in it, but uh, all in all,
0: good day out. Good stuff. We'll be going into detail about the that opening weekend or at least the games that did go ahead because only three of the, three of the five top division games did. And also... I've been speaking to Zach Elbuzetti over the last couple of weeks about life in Sweden with AIK and his hopes for getting into the Ireland squad. But all that coming up. Uh, Rovers first, Ed. I guess expected result against UCD. 3-0 win. But um, in terms of setbacks, Neil Farooja's injury?
3: Yeah, poor Neil. Um, look, we, you know, uh, we still haven't seen the best of Neil at, at Sean Rovers yet. Uh, we've seen what he can do and you know, over the years and a really exciting prospect and still, you know, still young. So I'm not, not too worried about him, but it was just a great sign that Stephen threw him in first game, that it shows that he believes in him as well. And he really would have done, done wonders, I imagine, for Farrouge's confidence. Shame to see him come off so early. Hopefully maybe, you know, it's precautionary that, you know, they don't want them to escalate or anything and, and get him back sooner. Um, but otherwise, you know, it was, Pretty straightforward for Rover. Survived the early scare, but then, you know, showed the championship credentials. Um, Jack Byrne coming back really gives a little buzz to the team. And you know, I suppose from a uh, from Shamrock Rovers fans' perspective, they'd be they'd be pleased to see three goals on the score sheet. Not having to rely on late goals, you know that was a that was a big thing last year. You know that they had to grind out a lot of results very late in the game, and you know. But but like other than that, you know, very straightforward, um, strong squad, and just uh, it was. It, then I suppose one thing that did, I did uh, like was to see Dylan Watts starting the game because he's a player who would have done a lot of work in Jack Burns' absence, and he would have been given a lot of. Uh, responsibility on the pitch to, to step up for, you know, when Jack, when Jack wasn't there. And now Jack is back. You would have thought maybe Dylan might have to settle for, a, a, you know, a support role but he started and he's doing well. He's a lovely player and, like, you know, it's, it's encouraging for Sean McRover to very good quality on the bench and they'd be fighting for positions. Yeah,
0: and Carl, I suppose, they'll get a very early test going up to a sort of rejuvenated Derry City who did quite well getting a 2-2 draw. At Dundalk, in terms of it being um uh like uh, coming too early, maybe for Derry City, is that a sense you kind of get? Uh
1: no, look, it will give Derry. Uh, Derry will know straight away after the game where they're going to be or thereabouts. Uh, if they can put it up to Shamrock Rovers, or if they look, if they can get a win, it'd be fantastic for them. They'd know there and then. It'd give them great belief. I know. Uh, like Gary will know as well. If you can get one over on who you think is your closest rival in the season. It gives you such a boost going into the campaign, especially if it's early doors. It's a uh, it, it's a very big game early on, but I suppose more so for Derry than Shamrock Rovers. I say I know Shamrock Rovers will be fine this year. They'll they're favourites for for a reason. They've such a good squad, but for Derry, if they can put it up to Rovers on this game, it'll give them a great boost.
0: And Gary, obviously, you were up at Oriel Park for that game. We're just going to listen to Rory Higgins and just get his thoughts because, of course, he was there. He went up to uh, Dundalk without a couple of key players that you would expect to um to be part of, like a fundamental part of the team. So, um, it was a good result from uh, from the way he was speaking afterwards. He was quite satisfied. But we'll just listen to him here first.
4: We we didn't have a natural winger really um in our squad, so we had to adapt and and play a slightly different way to what we wanted to but um, it gives us uh, optimism going forward that we've got really really good attacking players and uh, as you said we can add Michael Duffy, Matty Smith, Evan McLaughlin, Ronan Boyce to that group so I think when we get everyone back that we're going to be in a really good position. And as you said, something to build on. Shamrock Rovers next at the Brandywell. Aye, an easy one. (laughs) Listen, it's uh, Extremely tough fixture, the, the, the benchmark, so um, we'll prepare this week now to go and have a go at them and, and see where it takes
0: Yeah, them. so that was Rory Higgins speaking to LOI TV after the 2-2 draw. Um, Gary, what did you make of, I suppose, the team that he was able to line out in the end?
2: Yeah, look, I think he's, he's put together a very strong squad and obviously, you know, you know he's missing Mickey Duffy. He, he talked about it there in his interview, he's missing a natural winger and, and Michael Duffy is arguably the best winger in, in the league. I know Dara Barnes is coming on strong and so on but Michael is proven top class player and um, so he's missing him he'd probably miss him again for the for the Shamrock Rovers game but you know I think a good sign for Derry City was that they went behind twice in the game at both times they came back and they probably could have won it late on in the game but Gonergan had a great chance and they uh, smashed it off the crossbar but all in all it was a it was a very entertaining game and um, and there was chances for both teams. But Derry did look stronger and particularly impressive. McGonagall looked top, you know, pace and strength. Obviously got his goal, set up a goal, but looked really, really good in the game. And I think, you know, with, with Michael Duffy probably supplying a little bit more ball into the box and Patrick McElhenney fully fit. I know Patrick came on, didn't start the game. He played 90 minutes the week before. So, like, they have got real quality there. I think this game probably coming a little bit early for them in terms of uh, they would like to have a couple of more games under their belt. We know what we're going to get from Sean McRomish, but I do think it'll be a really tough test up there in Derry the weekend.
3: Gary, just about that game, because I haven't seen any of, of the game yet, but I'm intrigued by the, the new goalkeepers at, at both clubs. What what was the performance like? Obviously, you know, four goals isn't probably reflective of their performances, but just wondering what sort of keeper uh, Dundalk have and, and how did how did the new lad do up in, up in Derry, Brian Marr as well?
2: yeah it's probably a little bit early to say i suppose you judge keepers after maybe 10 games but i think um shepherd had a, had a good game reasonably tidy game you know nothing um you know couple of saves nothing that you know was outstanding but nothing poor either so like he'd be happy with his, his first out and i thought he was solid brian martin looked really good in the game and then you'd probably be disappointed with the, the second goal it was kind of a a, a ball by Robbie Benson hit, knocked in the corner right into the middle of the six yard box. A lot of bodies in around him, and uh, it was Connolly who got the, got the header. So it was a bit of a But Brian had a couple of good saves in the game. Looked very composed. He's a really kind of stylish keeper, Brian. Yeah. Uh, looks very composed on the ball. I think you know he will have a, a, good, a good season for Derry, but he will be probably a little bit disappointed with uh, the second goal. He's,
3: he's fond of coming out of the box as well, isn't he? He's good, he's good with his feet. So I think he, he'll be an entertaining man to watch all season.
2: Yeah, no, he, he's very, very good with his feet and he's very competent. I uh, read the game very well. And i like to say he does, he plays a high line. I think Rory will want that. I think, you know, Brian's been, I suppose, learning his trade in the fourth Division, has got a number of uh, appearances under his belt with Bray and has also done very well with the Ireland 21. So this will be a really good step up from, you know, going into a Derry team that are expected to challenge. It, it brings, I suppose, new expectation on him. And, you know, that level of consistency week in, week out will have to be there. But uh, look, I'm expecting a big season there, Brian.
0: And from a Dundalk point of view, Gary, um, of course, this is the first time we're seeing Stephen O'Donnell's team um, in a competitive game. What did you make of where they're at right now? And maybe are there signs that can give you an idea of where they're going to be at a, in a few weeks' time in terms of uh, either challenging to be in that top four or maybe in that kind of mid-table mix?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, I, I can't see them challenging for, for a league title, to be honest with you. I do think that, you know... Yeah, they've got good players there, probably just a little bit light at the back, obviously with the loss of Dan Cleary and Brian Gartner's he's really coming back from injury and stuff like that. So they have a new goalkeeper, which is an unknown as well, and did well in the game the other day. But like all these things are kind of, like Sam Bone playing at right back. I'm not sure if he's a natural right back. He got caught out for the for the second goal for the equaliser, where he just kind of, he tried to read it and Akinthondi totally skipped past him. So, look, lots of kind of positives for of Dundalk in terms of, you know, home crowds and, um, got two goals, I think Stevie will do a really good job there, um, I, I think they'll be on the edge of, of European football obviously they, they'll have aspirations to, to qualify for Europe and I think they'll be in the mix for that certainly
0: Yeah and one he was speaking to Adrian Eames of RT Sport um, after the game and of course he was satisfied enough with the results but he also touched on the um, like everything that's happened since he left Pat so we might just listen to that first and I'll get your take on that Gary
5: I can understand that uh, like you know <laughs> Disappointing, but ultimately, I just had a decision to make, and I I went with my gut. That's the top and bottom of it. There was lots of nonsense being spoken, sort of conspiracy theories, and I think you can see now Um, there was nothing. There was no cloak and dagger stuff. I just made a decision. It's a decision I'm delighted with. I'll always be grateful for St. Pat's um, for you know giving me my first job in coaching. But I'd like to think, as I said, I've repaid that. You know, um, it's not as if we've left them in the lurch, we left them in a the healthy position, came second in the league and won the cup and they in Europe this season. So, you know, like I will always have, you know, St. Pats fans were, were great, were great with me while I was there. So from my point of view, there's absolutely zero animosity, but I can understand the disappointment, but I think it's time now Everyone got on with it,
0: Gary. Um, that's of course uh, you're, you're someone you know very well. And Stephen O'Donnell uh, speaking to uh, RTE Sport, and just about, I suppose, he, you know, there are words like conspiracy theories, etc., that he that he kind of mentions there. I get the sense maybe he is clearly stung by um, some of what's been said in the interim.
2: Yeah, look, I'm sure he's been disappointed with some of the stuff because, like, it's not always as cut and dry as what what can be reported. Like, you know, Stephen will it be disappointed. I was probably surprised on a personal level that he, he moved so quickly, obviously, given the fact that he, after winning the, the Cup and surpassed had a terrific season and European football to look forward to, I think, you know, I, I was probably just a little bit surprised that he jumped so quickly, but look, I know Stevie well and look, Dundalk has been a big part of his uh, his football career and, and the opportunity to go and manage Dundalk, he obviously felt that, you know, he, he couldn't turn it down and it was something that he wanted to do, so I suppose, you know, that's his own personal reasons for, for taking the job. Obviously, like I said, my I was a little bit surprised just at the time because I would have felt that that Dundalk job would have been there for Stevie you know at, at some point in his career anyway so that would be my view on it but like in fairness to him look he, he, he's one thing about Stevie O'Donnell he's brave he's backed himself he's done a terrific job at Pats and I know doubt he will do the same at, at Dundalk he'll give it everything he has he's very astute very knowledgeable on the game as well and um, I think you know he'll be a very good appointment for Dundalk
0: and Carl, just just on that, sorry, Carl, um, do you feel it, the narrative will kind of move on, though, just because Pats, of course, are, you know, the, as we saw against Shells, and we'll go into detail about that game very shortly, but it will move on, especially if Pats continue on the trajectory that they're on.
1: Yeah, well, look, it's, uh, I suppose, it, it'll come back around when they play each other the first time, this, the first round of fixtures when the Doc play Pats, and then, I suppose, maybe a bit a second time as well, but, I, look, I, I had a bit of a controversial contract dispute with Dundalk at one point. The first and the second game, it comes up, and then after that, no one really brings it up. It'll move on, and if uh, Saint Pat's get a win over Dundalk, you best believe their fans will let Stevie know. But again, it'll be—I uh, suppose that would—I ha- suppose that would help them move on from it even more. So, I'm
3: just wondering off I'm wondering if Gary's been a little bit coy and Dundalk's chances for the season because. You look at the you look at the squad and you know they can put out a team one to eleven who can challenge anybody in the in the league. And you saw on Friday night, they, you know, not a not a problem match in Derby City. Uh, obviously, they've been sort of flying under the radar radar a little bit. I and mean, when you look, the spider, of the team is still there from the Kenny era, with Boyle, Benson, Hooban. You know, Hooban up front. Uh, a lot, of, a lot of players, as you said, coming back from injury. I, I think Dundalk are quite happy with their little position of, you know, under the radar, but quietly confident, I'd say. Uh,
0: I think, Gary, the prosecution is resting there. So <laughs> <laughs> what do you have to say to that?
2: Yeah, well, you just have to look at the stability of Sharma Grover. Like, there's only two players that have come into the Shamrock Rover squad. They've been able to maintain it. And I think that was something that was evident in the Dundalk success over a number of years was, that they kept a hold of all their players and added one or two quality players here and there. And Shamrock Rovers have done that this year, obviously with, with Jack uh, and Andy Lyons coming in from dog you know, it's a bit more of a mixed bag. Okay. There is kind of a spine of a team there. And um, from, you know, um, the previous manager and Stephen Kenny and Vinnie Perth, but there's an awful lot of unknowns that have come into the, into the squad as well. Guys have come in alone. And Stephen Bradley did really well at the weekend scored a terrific goal. And, um, but, you just don't know how it's going to gel. It's a bit like Damien Duffy. He's signed 12 new players into Shelbourne, and it's not just going to gel straight away. Now, so it, it is, I don't see them. I don't see them challenging. To be quite honest, um, you know, I think um, I think it'll be difficult. You know, just given that continuity that there is at, uh, at Shamrock Rovers, and even look at Derry's team. They from the weekend. They've got Michael Duffy to come back into it. They've got Roland Boyce to come back with Patrick Patrick McAvaney wasn't fit. And um, Matty Smith, and that's that serious quality that, that they had to come back into the squad. So I would have Pat Sanderi, um certainly ahead of, of Dundalk in terms of uh, league title aspirations.
0: Yeah, you mentioned Pats there. Of course, they got a brilliant 3-0 win at Shelburne. Um, again, a huge crowd there. I think it's uh, the largest crowd they've had there for 16 years at Tolka Park. Uh, obviously, they won't be, the the Shells fans won't be happy with the results, um, how it played out. But we'll, we'll get into detail about it because there were some positives from their point of view. But first, we'll listen to Pats manager, Tim Clancy, and then Damien Duff, Shells boss.
5: Yeah, I think there's just very little in the game, Tony, um, first half and... Uh, Dara Byrne picks up a very good area when we're out of possession. Um, stuff that we've been working on with the wide players is to just pick up areas that can affect the game when we don't have the ball and listen, that's the part of the game that you can't really coach and, and players just have it and Darda cuts inside and buries won from 20 yards or 25 yards and it gets us a foothold in the game, uh, which we're able to build on second half.
6: I guess though we spoke last week about how Mark Doyle can, can learn from Owen Doyle, maybe his goal tonight showed already he's learning.
5: Yeah, he had a very similar chance last week. Um, in the game against uh, Shamrock Rovers where he's, he's, he's nicked it on the other side again in a similar position to Dara and he's he's gone in on goal last week and he probably snatched at it um, he showed a little bit more composure this week had the extra touch and listen, we were delighted for him to get that goal and it gave us a little bit of a breather then
6: Composure is the word isn't it and, and Chris Forrester who's the SSE electricity player of the match had that in spades again
5: Yeah and he's got uh, he's got the quality of the match any player in this league and, and many leagues will uh, be perceived to be higher than this level and Chris, he's, um had a great pre-season and you can see in the last week the President's Cup, he was very good but tonight I thought he controlled it and um, controlled the game and you can see for the third goal he takes the ball down under pressure slides it out to Mark Doyle, and um, Jay comes on from the opposite side again something that we're working on where we want the wingers to fill the box when it goes to the other side and he gets a great third goal for us.
4: I'm glad it's out of the way now uh, Tony and we can move on with the rest of the season um, I listen, the lads are devastating there and um, Pats have won the game just on transition, counter-attack football. It's what we warned them about. Um, When they actually had the ball, we never really felt threatened. I know the back line, the the team didn't. So it was, you know, error mistakes, really. Um, With the ball, I couldn't ask any more of them. Uh, I think we created a lot of chances, a lot of opportunities, whether the goals offside or not. And I think uh, on a different night, it's a different story. We've seen tonight that Jack Moylan certainly has all the makings. Uh, Yeah, listen, he he catches the eye. He's a great boy, he's such hunger, desire, along with the rest of the squad. Like So uh, him along with a lot of the guys, um, listen, they were brilliant. Just disappointed we, we couldn't, you know, take any opportunities or chances or, you know, getting up to the top end of the pitch. I think we cr- thought we created an awful lot. Um, so yeah, listen, disappointed, gutter for the boys, got to put so much into it. But we roll on next Friday.
0: So, uh, Carl, lots of positives there, at least from um, Damien Duff's um, kind of summation of it afterwards. Um, is it a kind of a classic case of sort of the mistakes that you might get away with, say, in the first division or at a lower level, and just when you're coming up against a machine like Pat's that are more well-oiled at a higher quality, that you, you can get found out? And, you know, the, I think the first two goals in particular kind of showcase that.
1: Yeah, look, I was quite surprised with the narrative after the game of how well Shell's done when you look at it, it wouldn't. It could have very easily been five or six. They Chris Forrester had one off the line. I think McClellan, did he hit the bar from about 25, 30 yards out. Burns came very close in the first half. I'd be slightly worried with how open shells are when they lose the ball. They're they're very good on the eye. They tried to play nice football and in fairness on a pitch that was quite poor. But when they lose it, they're extremely open and as they found out on Friday if you're that open in the Premier division you will get you will get hurt and I suppose look Darrell Barnes' first goal an absolute cracker of a goal from 20 yards into the top corner and I'm just slightly worried at how open the shells are for the season they'll come up against slightly worse opposition but they'll also come up against better opposition who will definitely be able to hurt you.
0: And Gary, I think looking at, um, looking at that game, it was sort of the template, as Carl's talking there, you know, there's uh, it's a lot of front foot football, but especially those wing backs or the full backs really pushing forwards. Um, is that something that just needs to be tempered a little bit because they were kind of caught in those channels uh, more than once?
2: Yeah, I suppose when you come up against the likes of Darvorn, these guys are going to punish you. So you, you've got to be careful. And I think Damien talked about, I suppose, dominating possession. I think with Mark Coyle and A. Dervin in the middle of the field, they're going to expect a lot from Jordan McInnes to come in to really dominate possession in games. I think that could be a difficulty for them. And um, but like you say, the the wing backs, you know guys are it's 11, 12 players into a new system and a new manager. It's going to be difficult. And there was like Karen said, there was there was plenty of chances. I think um, Pat's were, you know, if they'd be more clinical, they could have had a couple more goals. But I think the you know the chances that they did get, they were clinical. I think you know Darrell Burns' uh, uh, first goal, uh, his the first goal of the game was was uh, a moment of brilliance. I think he's been. He's been uh, really well, very high quality last season and he looks as if he's going to continue in the same vein again this year.
0: Yeah, we need to take, talk about uh, Chris Forrester, who got player of the match. Um, I don't know who, he's, who we're going to go to here first, Gary or, uh, or Carl, but uh, he was just immense. It's not Maybe at the beginning, it just took, took a little time to get into rhythm, but then afterwards sort of ran the show in midfield.
2: Yeah, and look, and that's what it, that's what it takes. You talk about players controlling the game and, and dominating possession, I think everything he did. You know the little nutmegs on and the edge of the box and stuff like that. But he's just he's got he's got that star quality. He's got that bit of class, composure on the ball. He sees it, and um, and obviously can play it as well. Like his range of passing is, is superb. Obviously, he's an eye for goal. Had a shot saved as well by by the keeper Webb. So he's um look he looks as if he if he if he continues like that for the season, he's going to be a treat to watch for the season. Yeah, he
1: started off he started off like that actually last year where he, I suppose. It took him a while to grow into it, and then as the season went on, he got better and better. Obviously, he had a great cup final, but uh, last Friday he was magnificent. He was a joy to watch on a pitch that was cutting up and it was quite poor. He was the one player who every time he got it, he tried to make something happen. You could see that he was he's brimming with confidence at the moment. Obviously, he's enjoying working with Tim, but like I suppose the one that got cleared off the line from pretty much sums Chris Forrester up it falls to him from a corner, edge of the box. Most players just whack it and try to score. He dinks it over everyone and it gets cleared off the line. But uh yeah, he was a joy to watch and he's probably one that this year, it would not surprise me come the end of the season if he's player of the year, just because of, I know, everyone knows the quality he has. It's just about trying to be consistent with it over a season.
3: I was just going to say, Carl, he, He looked like he would taken that cup final form and he brought it straight into the new season. And he he looks fit, strong, hungry, and so so confident. Um, like you said, that that lob was just exquisite, and uh, he just played with that freedom. It's almost as if he welcomes the challenge of Jack Byrne coming back into the league, as to see who's who's going to be the top man in in the you know in the in the show sort of show uh, department this year. Um. I'd be curious to see what uh, Chris was laughing at just before he picked up the player of the of the match award. He was in stitches laughing, and full credit to him, he, he held it together for the interview. But funny, the other thing I wanted to say about the Shelburne game was uh, Damien Duff's interview. I was curious to see how he, you know, come out and speak about the game and after his first game in charge. And from what I got from it, was he sort of tried to keep emotion out of it. And he was just trying to stick to the sort of coaching principles and trying to work out each thing specifically. But, you know, obviously Emotion's going to go very, very much into it, into the league. And uh, it'll be just interesting to see how, how he gets on for the rest of the season in that sense, because perhaps unfairly, he's going to get a bit of additional spotlight on him because of his profile.
0: Yeah, and uh, also, like, on the other side of that, on the other flip side of it, Tim Clancy, because we obviously shouldn't forget uh, – Again, they had a really good game, Pats, once they got kind of got going, Ed. I, I suppose uh, that could have been a real banana skin, going to Talca Park, opening night, um, you know, Damien Duff and the other dugout, all the kind of focus on that side, but they kind of came through it and looked really well-oiled.
3: Doesn't, doesn't it show, though, how that bit of experience as a manager has given Clancy the confidence to come into St. Pats and just to hit the ground running straight away, as Carl mentioned there, like the players enjoy him, playing for him. And we know from his record at drawda as well, that they generally, although you wouldn't have known it from the opening 10 minutes of the match, they're generally very good and solid on set pieces and that organisation and stuff of like that. So uh, um, yeah, very impressed with Tim. He, he he really seems to have the players play in a certain way with that real sort of confidence. So uh, I think they do well. And and just as well, and, and Gary would probably be interested in this, Another new keeper there at St. Pats who got a bit of stick last week after his performance in the President's Cup. So I thought he was really well, I thought he did really well in the game. Uh, you know, he, didn't, he wasn't called into action too often, but when he was, he did well. And you could see by him, he, he was starting to develop that bit of rapport with the defence and he, there's a bit of confidence there, I think, as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think he had a, he had a very good game. I think, you know, he, he made a mistake, OK, for the goal against Shamrock Rovers, and that probably would have hurt him and he'd been thinking about it this weekend. To be fair to him, it, it was difficult to go in to that game um on the T V after a, a poor goal the previous week. So he look he did he he did he stood up to the challenge really well. I think he had put in a very composed performance. Um so on on a difficult night as well, difficult pitch as Carol had said. So I think he'll be really happy to get a good, good, solid start under uh, under his belt and and he'll move on into next week full of confidence.
0: Yeah, and Ed, um we mentioned talk Park there obviously just hours before the game kicked off. There was that news uh, about Dublin city council confirming that they're going to examine the proposal that Shel- Shelburne have made uh, for a multi-sport stadium on the site. Um, obviously it's positive, it's positive news, particularly for those maybe who've been behind the save talk Park campaign. But uh, overall, what did you make of, uh, make of that story, I suppose, and how you react to it?
3: Well, look, I suppose we can only comment on what we know. And, you know, to a certain extent, we don't know a lot in terms of what the club's uh, overall plan is for it because it's, you know, from an outsider's perspective, it seems like it's a little too little too late. Um, and that's, that's safe. Tolka Park campaign has been going on and, and I've been building momentum for a, quite a while now. And look, you know, I'm from Rohini. I love Tolka Park. It was the first ground I was ever brought to. It was a home farm game back in the day. Um, but at the same time, I've worked there 10 years ago, and the, the rain started coming down through the, the dressing room as I was doing a post-match interview with Stephen Kenny. Another match, the floodlights were swaying, and the, I think the match was called off, or certainly suspended for a, a good length of time. So, just this, this pros and cons to it, like I'd love to see and like, were, Of course, with modern design, there's a lot you could do with that with that space, and incorporate a football pitch within it. Like, They did something similar up in in Chicor with their plans for the for Richmond Park, not for Richmond Park, but across the road and the development there, which were rejected in the end. But, you know, it shows that you can bring business and football together and use the space. And I'd love to see it happen. But I think the big winners out of all this is Bohemians who are just looking at the new Daily Mount uh, redevelopment and well, everybody would have always associated Bohemians with Daly Park. They will so even more now, I think, and and it will be very much be very much harder now if this all falls through for Shelburne to go to, to Daly Mount, uh, especially with their fans from the fans' perspective. I, I, I'd, I'd fear, I'd feel sorry for the fans on this one.
0: Yeah, and uh, we're just going to touch on the first division, um, of course, for, as well, because uh, there, it was a bit of a goal fest. 19 goals across the three games, massive away wins. Um, just going, going through the results here at Lone Town 2, Waterford 5, Bray 0, Cork City 6. Wexford uh, won Treaty United 5. Um, I know Carl, you got to see a bit of the Cork City game. Uh, it, it, to me it kind of struck me as a kind of surprise result, especially, I, I mean, I'm saying Bray, but obviously we're talking about a combined Bray kind of Cavantili here.
1: Yeah, look, it's, uh, I think, look, I, I I, think most people would have known Cork will do well this year with the, I suppose they have put a bit more money into this year than they did last year. They've signed some good players. Rory Keating was a good signing himself and uh, Keen Murphy up top will be a handful for most teams, uh, even some Premier Division teams will find that duo a handful they've, uh, but they have I suppose Colin Healy's put together a squad that's really competitive this year, like brought back Kevin O'Connor and they've some, signed some really good players so I, deb- I wouldn't be surprised if Cork were there thereabouts come the end of the season, for me they're it's themselves in Waterford who I can see challenging I know John Caulfield won't be too happy with me saying that but It's uh, them two that I can see challenging. And in Dylan McGlade, they have a player who, I suppose, has never really done it at the highest level in the Premier Division, but he, he really has that knack of, in the first division, Colin Healy could build his team around him, and I suppose he could flourish under Colin Healy this year.
0: Yeah, and we didn't get to see Galway United yet because of course they were sort of having the, the bye week because um, it's obviously a 19 division, but and also Longford Town whose game was called off. And again, they've just come down from the Premier Division. Uh, Gary, uh, are we looking sort of a first division that's sort of like a, a table of two halves and that there's going to be a clutch of four or five kind of pushing up uh, towards the top and then sort of the, the remainder kind of left kind of way behind?
2: Yeah, well, I suppose on the evidence of the opening night results, you probably are. The most disappointing thing about the First Division is the fact that it's nine teams. You know, we're looking at um, a bye week in senior professional football. Um, it's just, look, it's just not a really good look, to be honest with you. I think that, you know, if we're, we have aspirations to have a third tier um, in League of Ireland football and we can't fill a second tier at the minute, it's just not good. Um, I think, you know, the the there should have been something done there in order to make it more balanced. I, I certainly think you know, definitely missed a trick there. And a bye week is not ideal for anybody. Um, and um, that, that's the most disappointing thing about the first division for me. I think the first division last year was so competitive and so interesting. Um, and I think you know, it, it has the makings of it again this year. I suppose Treaty were the unknown last year and they've started off really, really well. It's good to see Cork. And um, as Carl says, they've put together a good squad. I think they will be competitive. Galway will be there, thereabouts. And I think Waterford would probably be the favourites to win it um, under Ian Morris. And uh, like it, but like I said, the most disappointing thing about the First Division is that there's only nine teams in it. Gary, and the, uh, uh, yeah, on that,
4: sorry.
3: On that, on that note, Gary, obviously, obviously the, the, the First Division could have had 10 teams in it, you know, with the Shamrock Rovers option, which is obviously the debate for another day, I'm sure. But, you know, the one thing that struck me about the first division this year already, like you saw the three results and they're like emphatic. Um, and f- for years, I've always been an advocate of the smaller Premier Division because I think the quality, I think you almost need to have, to prove yourself to, that the Premier Division has to have, you know, no flaws. It needs to have strong teams. But I think I can start to see the argument coming back now for a 12, 14 team top tier. Um, to Because clubs like... All clubs seem to be on the rise at the moment and I think it's it shows that the health of the league in general is improving. But as, as you say, a third tier, I think that's uh, way off at this stage.
0: Yeah, they're talking about 2023 for that potentially even and I mean when you say that year, like you actually it's not that far away, yeah, is it? It's not that far away. It's like literally next year. We're we're it's less than a year away. Um, like what would you like to see happen with a third tier, Gary, actually, if they're going to go down that route and very soon? Because um there's talk of reserve teams potentially, but also there's maybe scope to spread this, uh, well, I suppose spread soccer and professional semi-pro, whatever it is, further uh, beyond the kind of confines of where it has been so far.
2: Yeah, well, look, there there is going to it's going to be made up of amateur teams. It's going to be made up. Shamrock Rovers' second team, maybe Dundalk can have a second team. You look at I suppose the academy structure that there is in Ireland now, and all the clubs have under-19 teams, and clubs need you know you're going to lose these players if they're not good enough to make it into the first team. Say at Shamrock Rovers, they need that outlet of you know a Shamrock Rovers B team in order for them to progress their career and give them a taste for first team football. So it is going to be composed of um whether you reserve teams and. Um, and obviously some of the first division teams, there will be promotion and relegation. Obviously, the, the 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 reserve teams for the I suppose the the Premier Division teams, they won't be able to come up with this is my kind of read on the situation. And you're looking at, I suppose, sp- strong regional clubs and, and maybe top length of senior league clubs that would have aspirations of getting into, into the first division or the premier division down the line. But it will like I think facilities will be important. So like if you're a junior club you'll need to have good facilities as well because I think the one thing that left our League down is, is the facilities and that's from top to bottom. Obviously, there are clubs who've got excellent facilities. You look at Flyger Rovers and what they've done over a number of years, obviously. Um, Tala is a fantastic stadium. The um, the brand UL and stuff like that. But there, there's, we definitely need um, you know more help and better facilities in our league because I think it does let them the product because the product on the pitch is very good at times and you just look at clubs competing in Europe um, against teams with much bigger budgets, and when you put our our best clubs into the Viva Stadium and you and you have games there like we did and uh, bows in Europe this year, the product looks an awful lot better, and I think our facilities do let us down in that regard.
0: Yeah, uh, we've been interviewed with Zach Albuzetti coming up very shortly, but before that, um, Ed, the Pinatar Cup, so Vera Pauz, Ireland were in action over the last few days, um, won the opening game fighting back against Poland, and then unfortunately um, fell short against Russia, but it's not really, it doesn't seem to be something kind of where results are the paramount thing because obviously there, she, um, she's giving a lot of debuts, like Chloe Mustaki, who, her debut has been a long time coming, she's kind of come through a lot, it's about squad building.
3: Oh, well, listen, it's a uh... It, yeah, it's, it's 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 certainly not a cup for you know to be to be parading the, the trophy at the end of the week. It's about getting your squad ready for the the international windows that are upcoming, and I think it shows the maturity and experience that's starting to come into this Ireland squad that the manager had the confidence to change a winning team and put out a second uh, a second string essentially, for the for the second game against Russia. And to put on a performance, you know, shows that the strength in depth is there. And that was a criticism during the European Qualifier campaign, um, that I think the manager was, was a bit reluctant to use her bench, because she didn't feel they were going to add anything, anything to the team. Uh, but now it shows that she has options, she has great options, and, uh, yeah, the Chloe story was probably the, the story of the week, wasn't it, coming in and, and coming back from what she's endured uh, over the years um, and to come back and and put in a a, a proper performance. So it really augurs well for the year ahead, I think. And the the final game against Wales will will again sort of show Vera where her side are at against decent opposition. I think Russia were the only team who've qualified for this summer's Euros, but it shows that, you know, They'll still, when that tournament does come around, they'll rule that match, but they will have confidence. They, they will have confidence of uh, going away to Sweden now in April to really put in a performance and maybe cause a shock.
0: Yeah, and that's a couple of months away. Um, I think, believe it's April 12th when they're when they're going up there, of course, and uh, they did well in the home game, so it augurs well. Um, but uh, anyway, Zach El I was chatting to him about two weeks ago. Um, he's formerly of Waterford uh, FC, of course, and uh, played for the Ireland Under-21s under Stephen Kenny, and he's doing really well at AIK in Sweden, which is one of the biggest clubs based in Stockholm. And I was speaking to him, as I said, a couple of weeks ago, and the first thing I asked him was how primed he is for his second season.
6: Yeah, obviously... Um... I joined midway through the season so it's, it's obviously difficult joining midway through any season but um all the lads here were like brilliant in, in helping me. We had some like season season pros, like I've had great careers and they helped me settle in right away. But I have um, obviously last season was good as you said, but I wanna improve on that. Um we missed out on the on the title and goal difference, so hopefully we can go one better next year and then Personally I think uh I'm always looking to get better and I'm always looking to improve. Um, so yeah, we're in pre season at the moment and I'm, I'm still still finding that sharpness, you know. It takes a few games for me to, to get that, but once I get into the the swing of things and, and get um get that momentum going, I think it will hopefully be a better season than last season.
0: Yeah, and of course sweden different football culture completely and you've had the experience of playing here in ireland in the league of ireland with waterford of course and then at youth level uh, you've been over to england and scotland like how would you compare the style the football environment and the culture in comparison to the places you've been before
6: yeah i think there's it's a it's a lot more tactical over here and um, we do like a lot a lot of video work and a lot of work off the pitch on our opponents and and how we want to play and then a lot of training is based on on the sort of tactical approach to the game and even in the games, you know, sometimes we, last season we'd play like three or four different shapes in in one game, which is different to to England. Um, And then I think it's, again, I think it's it's very technically good over here. I think um, the league is very competitive and you know, we played we played some teams at the bottom of the league, and and they're playing now from the back, and they're trying to play play football the right way. Whereas, you know, when I was playing in League One and League Two, if you're playing bottom of the the league teams, they're just shelling it long and going for a, a physical approach. So, I'd say the the main two differences will be that it's it's a lot more tactical and and, uh, and technical.
0: And how do you feel that's kind of bringing on your own game as well? Obviously, being exposed to that.
6: Yeah, I think um, I think obviously, I think I'm. A good technical player. I think I've always been that, um and I think I've improved since I've got here. Like obviously, as I said, we've had we have some really good pros here. Like obviously, people in Ireland, but now Seb Larson and and Lustig That have had great careers in the UK. So you can only get better, learning off them. And then we've had players that have played in like the Bundesliga, La Liga, Serie A. So. You can only learn off them players. And then, as I said, tactically, I think I've learned a lot. They play in different shapes, different positions, um, whether it's defending deep, pressing high. I feel like I can do all that now. Um, and, yeah, it's just learning every day over here.
0: And do you find yourself gravitating to those lads you mentioned, like Seb Larson and Mikhail Lustig, because Lustig, of course, he's experienced Scotland like you have, and then Seb Larson was at Birmingham City, which is not a million miles away from like West Brom, which album where you were for a number of years.
6: Yeah, like, as I said, everyone in the challenge room is really good lads, and obviously with, with Lustig, I'm a Celtic supporter, and he's he's obviously a Celtic legend, so there's that sort of connection there. And... Um, so yeah, I get I get on well with them all, but as I said, you can only like learn off off them the careers they've had, and even if you're not speaking, and I'm just watching them train and what the sort of the sort of stuff they do and, and how they how they prepare off the pitch and and how they look after themselves, like it's it's brilliant.
0: And we were talking to Josh Cullen at Anderlecht uh, very recently just about his experience abroad and he was saying something which I kind of find surprising, which was that they, everything they do in the club is done through English. Is it the same at AIK where, um, given there is international players and obviously Swedish people speak brilliant English, is it kind of that natural way that that's what's used most?
6: Yeah, like um, the manager speaks Swedish and English, so... In a meeting, if if he makes one point in English, he'll say it in Swedish as well. Or if he says it in Swedish, he'll always make sure that he says it in English so we uh, we understand it. Um, but like if if they're speaking to me one-on-one or, or I'm involved in a conversation, it's always in English and they always try and make me feel like getting incorporated into
0: it yeah and sort of off the pitch of course um in terms of the attention levels because AIK is a big is a huge club in in Sweden can you kind of walk around the streets of Stockholm or around the Solna area and you know Uh, people people let you kind of mind your own business or are you kind of mobbed by the fans no to be fair they're really really respectful like obviously
6: I've, I've walked around and they come up and they say hello or if we've had a good result, like great game, you played really well. But they're they're really respectful. Like they don't they don't mob you or anything like that. Um, but it's nice as well to for someone to to come over and say a, a nice word to you or anything. It's, it's it's really nice. And since I've since I've come to the club, the support has been unbelievable. I've said it in, in other interviews. Like I've, at the games, I've never experienced an atmosphere like it. And then even off the pitch, sending me messages and all this, it's just been brilliant
0: and lifestyle wise of course um it's going to be very different to to hear um how have you found it like what's what's been the kind of biggest difference to sort of get used to
6: um obviously it's very cold over here (laughs) what's the
0: what's the temperature there uh this time of year
6: this morning today it was actually quite warm but it's like in the minuses regularly like when we went up we were up in the mountains um last week and it was like minus 15 degrees which is Crazy, um, but like Swedish people are are very chilled out, and and they have like a they have a good lifestyle. It's not like I feel like in Ireland the lifestyle is very rushed, and people always have somewhere that they need to be, whether it's work or other stuff. In Sweden, I think they they're very relaxed, which is cool.
0: Yeah, I suppose the cold weather actually helps, kind of. Well, you use the word chilled out, probably has an effect there. Um, obviously, you were part of Stephen Kenny's Ireland under twenty one team. Um back say around 2019 before he stepped up with the seniors and i remember there was that win over sweden coincidentally the 4-1 win you scored in it and it seemed to be this match where we kind of realized we've a lot of young talent coming through because we didn't really see results like that all too often at, at 21's level do you know in hindsight did that play a role in aik taking a bit of interest in you
6: that was probably the reason i'm here to be honest um at the time, our current manager was the assistant manager for the Sweden under 21s team. Um, so I had a pretty good game, you know. I set up a goal and and scored a goal as well. Um, and then I think, he'd you know, always sort of kept track of me after that game. And then last summer, they uh, they were looking for a new winger. So we said to the to the scout over here that. They played against the good winger when he was the assistant at uh, Sweden. So just have a look at me. And I think they ended up watching, he said, over 20 games of mine just to to make sure that I was the player that they'd seen that sort of night. Um, and then that's how it all happened. But it's, it's crazy because if, if that game hadn't happened or it hadn't been on that squad, it wouldn't be over here for sure.
0: Yeah, and uh, something we've been discussing a lot, obviously, uh, I'm, I'm sure you've probably seen it, but a lot of young Irish players, particularly younger than, say, the same age you were going to West Brom, a lot of them are now looking at going to other countries on the continent, potentially Sweden maybe one day might be one of those destinations. If we go back to your time kind of making that choice to go to West Brom, um, obviously at the time they're firmly established they're kind of Premier League and it was a period where they were there for a long time like, like when you're going over there as a as a teenager are you going over there with kind of massive dreams or is there is a tempered realism because obviously the stats show it is very difficult to break through and make it to first team level
6: yeah when I went obviously you know the stats I think everyone says it's 1 or 2% of people that make it that go over but you always think that you're going to be that one person that makes it and I think if I had it went over there and and say I had a realistic view that I wasn't going to make it or that I might not make it, there would have been no point in going. Um when I went over there, I, was, I fully believed that I could make it in the Premier League, and I fully believed that I was going to get my chance. And obviously, it's difficult because there's so many people going over, and for one reason or another, it didn't work out. They were in the Premier League at the time, and and I never I never got the the chance to to showcase if I could have played in the Premier League, but. No, when I went over, I think um, the goal was obviously to play in the Premier League. There would have been no point going over at that time if, if that wasn't the goal.
0: Yeah, and do you, as you said, they were firmly established in the Premier League, which probably makes it harder because man, first team managers are less likely to take a chance on players coming through. Mm-hmm. But if they were, as they are now, kind of Championship or that kind of the kind of yo yo club, they became a little a few years after you left. And um, do you think that might have? Helps your case a little bit in terms of like they will give a chance maybe to younger players coming through?
6: You never know. Like it all it all depends on who the manager is at the time. and um, like when I signed for West Brom and went over, they just hired Alan Irvine who who was the Academy manager at Everton. So it was it looked like it was going to be good and he was going to give um youth players a chance because that was where he sort of came from. And um, but then after like five or six months he was gone and then Tony Pulis came in and he's not really known for giving young players a chance, his, his job is to keep players, to keep uh, teams in the league and he's brilliant at that but it doesn't really come with, with blood and young players so you can't say if they were in the Championship or going up and down whether I, I could have made it there it's just a it's just manager and a manager has a lot of power so one man's opinion can, can sort of make or break you so it all depends on the circumstances at that time
0: and then the loan systems, of course, you were up in Scotland and it kind of coincided unfortunately with a with some injuries as well. Just how demoralising can that be?
6: Yeah, it was um I saw I signed for Inverness uh on the Friday and on the Saturday we played a game and I was out. I ended up injuring myself and I was out for five or six months and injuries are bad enough as it is, you know, but being up in Inverness is up in the highlands and it's sort of in the middle of an hour and it's sort of like segregated and you're on your own up there. Like we had a good group of lads who, who looked after me, but still it's you can't it's not like you're in London or something where you can hop on a fly home if you're feeling if you're feeling low or anything Inverness is very hard to get to get to Dublin from. So that was a, a tough time. and yeah, that was that was hard, but then obviously I came back and I wasn't part of the plans. Um, and then I end up leaving but as I said injuries are tough but they're just a a part of football and you just have to to realise that you're going to come through and you're going to come out the other side obviously there is hard days where it looks like there is no light at the end of the tunnel for any injury but you just have to keep that motivation
0: and then of course coming back to the League of Ireland and playing for Waterford and that seems to be kind of a turning point for you and it's really propelled you on and um, great performances getting into the um, Ireland under 21 setup just how important was it and what were you kind of looking for from Waterford when you did arrive um, first off?
6: Yeah I think obviously uh, Alan Reynolds was I think the first League of Ireland manager to message me when I was when I did come home, um, and I, the first message he sent to me was, you're going to get to play games and you're going to enjoy your football again. Um, and to be honest, he was the first manager that sort of stuck to his word in that way. And um, he gave me a, a really fair crack. And by probably this season with, with AOK, that was my favourite season. And it was the, the football that I enjoyed the most, even though at Watford at the time, it was difficult with with missing out on Europe and all that sort of stuff off the pitch but for me personally I, I loved it there and yeah, I, I love the club still I, I, I watch out for the results and I hope they can they can come back up this season Um, but yeah Alan Reynolds just said to me that I'd enjoy my football and, and he'd give me a chance and he did that
0: Yeah and as you mentioned you really enjoyed the technical style in Sweden of course the League of Ireland is going progressively that way as well was that sort of uh, another benefit in terms of timing just being there at the right time?
6: Yeah definitely when we were at Waterford we tried to play out from the back and that and, and it, it, obviously that's the way I like to play and it suits me but then you, you look at some of the football that's played like you know Rovers, Pats they play really good football than Dark as well and bows. if you look at some of the results in Europe and the way they're playing football it's, I think um, it's good and obviously I think it's good for if we want players that are going to be able to play European football as well obviously with, with Brexit and that it's tough for for young players to, to go to England, so if we want players that are able to go and um, go and play that European style, we have to implement that from a young age, so they're able to play that technical football. Um, and I think obviously with, with what Stephen's doing in the in the senior team and and the quality of the league getting better, I think the perception of Irish people uh, in Europe is getting better. I think a few years ago. We were just seen as like physical players who would just smash people and just run but now we think they are getting recognized for actually having technical ability and being able to play that way
0: yeah and he's really brought that on of course the the, the initial time in charge of the seniors is kind of difficult um obviously when he was in charge of the 21s with your group of players there wasn't as much adversity because just the results were the results were brilliant but in those kind of tougher moments um what was he like behind the scenes maybe where where you do find yourself behind or it's hard to break down a team because obviously we've seen how he's come through adversity now with the seniors, but obviously you've seen him kind of up close with the twenty-ones when in the few the very few tough moments there might have been.
6: Yeah, I think he may I've said it in in other interviews, like he makes you feel like you're the best player in the world. He makes you feel on top of the world. um... And even that, that Sweden game where we won 4-1, everyone seems to remember the second half. But the first half, we had a really poor performance and we were 1-0 down. Um, and then we came into the change room and some other managers, they'd be shouting and screaming and, and they'd be panicked, but there was no panic. It was just, we knew how good we were and we knew if we performed to the levels that we could, that we'd end up winning the game. And then everyone sees that performance in the second half. So it's just he just makes you feel his man management is just unbelievable I think it's just so good so I'm not surprised that they've they've come through the, the difficult moments Um, I think obviously it was tough with all the, the COVID cases and all at the start and he didn't have a lot of time to, to get them on the training pitch and, and implement his ideas so I think you're seeing now the sort of fruit of the labour
0: yeah, and of course, a uh, number of players have been fast tracked from your group into the into the seniors. We've seen Troy Parrott; he scored a couple of goals. Adam Heda um, is play, has been trusted uh, <laughs> trusted up front regularly, and of course, scored his first Premier League goal not very not very long ago. Like, how excited were you once you saw those lads and the, the other and some of the other ones from that generation kind of being pushed through, having you know been with them in the twenty ones for that period of time?
6: Yeah, definitely. I think that was. A major like uh, that was the excitement when we were in the 21s that we knew Stephen was going to be getting the senior job. So there could be that part way through, um, and he spoke about that when he was when he was the 21s manager. And in fairness, he spoke to his word, and I think it's maybe in my squad there was like 11 or 12 people that have made their debut, so it can only be exciting. And I think there's more to come as well. Um, but now the lads that have that have got their chance for the majority they've taken the chance as well it's all well and good getting the chance but they've taken
0: it yeah and of course as a winger of course your job would have been supplying the likes of troy and 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 adam and in terms of their movement at that age when they were like whatever it was 18 19 20 like how what was it like for you as a winger trying to supply them and what were their kind of qualities
6: yeah well adam and troy they're they're different sort of players adam's obviously he's rapid so he, he sort of likes to run in behind and and use his physicality to hold the ball up, and then Troy likes to sort of drop deeper and get involved in the link or play. And then when he gets in the box, he's lethal. So they're both lethal, to be fair. So whenever I was, whenever I was getting into into crossing positions or anything like that, I knew we just had to put it into a good area, and and they they'd get on the end of it. I think me and Adam, me and Troy didn't play together a lot, but me and Adam played together a lot, and I think we had quite a good relationship like we set up a lot of goals for each other so yeah it was it was really good to play with
0: yeah and of course uh you've kind of spoken openly about your ambitions of playing for for ireland and of course um you're doing well at aik so there's a really good chance of this happening um like have you had much contact with stephen in the interim do you know like are you know the members of the setup um the the ireland setup are they do you know that they're keeping a close eye on you and do you get can you get that sense
6: I haven't spoken to Stephen, but I know that they, they watch the games and they're continuing to watch me and, and seeing how I develop. Um, but as I said, like in other interviews, it's, it's it's out of my control. Obviously, it is my dream to, to play for Ireland. I, I make no secret about that, but I need to just focus on playing here and, and keep playing well. Like I had, I was, I've only been here six months and I had a decent six months, but I can keep getting better. And it's all about that consistency and if I keep playing and keep playing to a good level then the call-up will take care of itself I think
0: yeah and of course um, you are eligible for Libya but is that something you've, you're kind of closing the door to because you have that dream to play for Ireland
6: yeah I think I've grown up in Ireland I was I was born in Ireland and obviously my, my dad's Libyan and I'm, I'm proud of the, the Libyan heritage that I have and the origins that I have but I was born in Ireland I grew up in Ireland and I feel like I'm an Irish person so I wouldn't um I wouldn't take a cap off a Libyan person that that has that that would mean more to them and um, Ireland is, is who I want to play for so
0: yeah in terms of systems as well because of course um and I suppose this is the final point uh, Ireland have kind of moved to this back tree and uh like in terms of being a wing back is that something you kind of feel you could kind of develop in yeah I think
6: I'm, I'm adaptable as a player I think if I was to say what would suit me more it would probably be one of the, the top three. Um, but as I said, like if, if I was to get the call-up, I'd play wherever I'd play in goal if I needed. <laughs> <laughs> I think Gavin, Gavin, um, or Gavin I,
0: I Zuni, think, and Cleveland Kelleher might have a word with you there. I think score.
6: we're well stocked in the goalkeeper <laughs> department, to be fair.
0: Uh, We certainly are. But, um, Zach, look, thanks a million for taking the time and best of luck with AIK this season. Hopefully the weather gets a little bit warmer as well and you don't have to wear the beanie inside (laughs) either. uh, All right, that is Zach Elbuzetti, who is... Uh, doing really well with IK in Sweden and harbours real hopes of getting into the Ireland squad. I suppose, Ed, you've seen a bit of him um, for the under-21s and um, I, I guess maybe you might have been following a little bit of how he's been getting on in Sweden, but he's a potential one who could uh, Kenny will probably be looking at.
3: He certainly is. Um, yeah, no, I saw a lot of him in, you know, before he went off to England and with the under-21s as well. And that very strong under-21 side, he was... Very, very important part of, of the way Kenny was getting the team to play, and he was, you know, he was very much a Stephen Kenny' favourite type of player, and he was, you know, sort of similar to that Danny Mandroyu sort of style as well. You know, he brings, he can bring goals and a lot of assists and creativity to that final third as well. So, like, I think you do I think it's a great move to go to Sweden, and obviously the calendar uh, will will go against him probably for the the March games, but. I think if, if he can get off to a strong start to the season in Sweden, that he'd certainly be a, one that Stephen Kenny will be paying attention to.
0: And Carl, one thing he was talking about in that interview was just about the difficulties he had when he went to West Brom. And it used to be the path to go over to an English club, go into an academy at 16. You've had experience of that with Everton. Um, like he was talking about the mindset of, kind of knowing the statistics and how difficult it is to break through, but also you have to kind of believe that you will be the one that makes it. Um, how, what mindset did you have kind of going over to Everton?
1: Yeah, when I went over, I was just wondering how many days it is until I make my first appearance. <laughs> it's uh, it's just like that. You go over full of confidence thinking, right, I'm going to hit the ground running. And then when you get in and see the quality that's up against you and reserve teams and when you see the first team, I suppose how – how far away it almost seems then after a few weeks it's it can be very crushing and it can be very tough to take that's why I suppose you see so many players who go over they stop playing within two three years because they go over full of confidence I suppose everyone everything's so cushiony for them up until that point and then it's the realization of I'm a million miles off a first team here I'm I might have been in let's say Everton reserves and I've I'm fighting for my place here how am I ever going to get become a professional footballer how am I going to make this my living but it's uh and again you're also doing it while you're away from home away from friends and family at such a young age it's it's I suppose extremely hard to do and it's something that I struggled with both times when I went over uh, being so homesick but yeah. it, it, I'm just glad to see that he's he came back he came, obviously played in Ireland went over to Bolton it slightly didn't work out for him and now he's in AIK and he's doing really really well he's someone who has so so much pace that it it is now an option for Stephen Kenny to call him up because he had such a good season last year
0: yeah and Gary I suppose very quickly Adam Eda was a player who's taken that route has come through at Norwich scored his first Premier League goal against Everton um a few weeks ago and then of course Shane Long now has uh kind of got back among the goals too um also coincidentally uh, against Everton so maybe most of our strikers should start playing against them uh, in future uh, for the next for the next few weeks and get and um, get among the goals but Ida, of course has suffered an injury um which is going to rule him out for the rest of the season and when we look at the options especially for these march games because we're not sure how it progresses for when the nations league starts in june but Troy Par doing well at MK Dons uh, Michael Abafemi has started to score um, for Swansea but I don't think he's really in the picture for now. Will Keane is in double figures with Wigan. Um, you have Callum Robinson who kind of plays as a false nine. Uh, James Collins and Aaron Connolly has scored in the last couple of weeks for Middlesbrough as well but when you look at the the options that are there like how like I suppose how settled is it for Kenny in terms of what way he's going to go?
2: Yeah it's it's hard to know I suppose you list off the, the, the names there and the one that probably springs out to me is, is probably uh, Evan Ferguson uh, made his Premier League debut at the weekend. and Stephen, as we all know, is a brave manager. and It wouldn't surprise me to, if Stephen brought him in you know, for a friendly, you know, to give him a taste for it and see what, what he's like in, in around the squad and stuff like that. Um, you look at Will Keane, obviously, scoring at Wigan, and, and uh, Callum Robertson obviously did really well for him in the last campaign. I think Stephen will bring these guys back in. Um, and he, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if Ferguson was brought into the mix as well because I know that he obviously he's tracking him like everybody in the country, and uh, like he he seems to be doing really really well over there in Brighton, and uh, he's one that might enter his thoughts as well.
0: Yeah, we'll see how that one progresses. of course he's uh, still only around 17 or 18 or whatever it is, and already. <laughs> in the Ireland Under-21 squad for the last for the last wee while. But anyway, I think that wraps us up for this week. Uh, Carl and Gary, thanks a million for joining us. Uh, Ed, uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, next Monday, we'll be looking ahead to the start of the Women's National League and we'll also be reflecting on the second week of action in the League of Ireland with the fixtures, including Derry City and Shamrock Rovers, which is live on RT2 and RT Player on Friday at 7.30. UCD versus Finn Harps, Pats versus Sligo, Drada versus Shelburne, Bohemians versus Dundalk. Um so that is it for this week. Uh, thanks Emil and Slana Walia.